Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, page 975, and we'll look at these, these verses where Jesus teaches his disciples, in particular about how they might take the, the good news to the people around them. Let's, let's pray before we look at these verses together. Father God, we know that you have called us to go into the world with the message of Jesus. We feel nervous of that. We know that we need help. We need all the help we can get. Help us now to pay attention as we listen together for a few moments to your word and in particular to those things that Jesus taught regarding how we might take the message of the gospel into the world. Lord, help us to hear as you speak. Help us to find encouragement in your living word. Amen. If you've ever tried to talk to people about Jesus or if you've been part of a community that takes seriously that command to go into the world and to tell people the good news of the gospel, you'll know that that bringing the gospel to people always brings different responses. Some people respond positively to, to the message of the gospel, even if they don't immediately say yes I want to give my life over to following Jesus Christ. Often they begin a journey of discovery. They're in a place where they're interested and, and they're drinking it in. They're, they're responding positively to what they hear. But on the other hand, there are some people who almost from the word go, and no matter how often they hear the, the gospel, they seem to reject it and, and turn their back on this good news that's brought to them. They simply don't want to know when we share with them about Jesus Christ. Jesus understands that. I hope that maybe is an encouragement to you today. If you're somebody who, who has tried to share your faith, and maybe you've been a bit surprised to discover that while some people respond positively, there always seem to be some who just aren't interested. Jesus understands that. He isn't naive about the varying responses that people give to the good news of the gospel. He doesn't expect that every time we share the good news that people will respond and their lives will be changed. Jesus seems to accept that our message will be rejected. We can see that from his teaching in verses 11 to 15 of Matthew chapter 10. Remember what's going on here. Jesus has gathered 12 disciples around him. These are the fellows who are going to join him in his work, go out and do the same stuff that he's been doing. And now he's got them around him in what I'm calling an evangelism training seminar. He's saying, fellows, before you go out, let me teach you some stuff that you'll need to know. We saw Last time we thought about this a couple of weeks ago, in the first 10 verses, uh, we saw a, a few simple guidelines 
that Jesus gives these disciples for their evangelism. He said, begin at home, preach the kingdom of God, demonstrate the kingdom, and keep it simple. Now in verses 10, or sorry, 11 to 15, he's starting to get his disciples ready for this notion that there's going to be different kinds of responses. And he begins by talking about the accommodation that they're to go and find. He says, whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. Sounds a bit weird to us, but that would have been pretty normal in those days. Uh, There wouldn't have been the same level of hotels uh, and, and hostels available that we would have. People, when they traveled from one community to the other, in these close-knit Jewish towns and villages, they would have just expected somebody to put them up for the night. Uh, So there you are. You'd be at home. You'd have had your dinner. You'd have been watching the soaps, and somebody would rap on the door, and they'd just stand there, and they'd just stand there until you opened the door and invited them in. That's kind of how it worked. So there's nothing very strange in, in what Jesus suggests here. But in verses 12 and 13, Jesus recognizes that the, the welcome is going to be warmer in some homes than in others. He says, as you enter a home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. Now, what's Jesus talking about here? How can a home be deserving? Well, he's not clearly talking about the building Uh, The the buildings are are neutral in themselves. It's it's the people and the welcome that they give that, that makes a home deserving or not. A home deserves God's peace, Jesus is saying, only if that home is open to God's Son and those who bring the good news about Him. Any home that doesn't welcome Jesus and the good news about Him can't know the peace of God. It's undeserving in that regard. And that's why Jesus tells his disciples, leave your peace or take it away with you, depending on the response of those people. I found this really challenging regarding my work as a minister. I go around and meet a lot of people in their homes. Nothing would give me greater joy than to go into every home and with full confidence to pray the blessing of God on that home. But when I read what Jesus says here, Jesus reminds us that there can't be any real blessing from God on a home that rejects the greatest and best blessing that God would give the people there. How can God significantly bless people who reject the very greatest goodness He offers them in Jesus Christ? How can people who stand aloof from God's grace and forgiveness receive any other real blessing from God? If the home is is deserving, Jesus says, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, Let your peace return to you. Jesus continues along these lines in verse 14. He says, If anyone won't welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that town or home. Now again, that's a strange idea, but it's a common practice 
whenever the Jews had been traveling, particularly in Gentile regions, and they returned home, they'd shake the dust off their feet. It was a way of saying that, they, that the place where they'd been is unclean and doesn't deserve the blessing of God. Early Christians actually did this. Reading the book of Acts, we see a couple of occasions where they did this. In Acts 13, the Jews of Pisidian Antioch stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And we read in verse 51 of that chapter that they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. On another occasion recorded for us in Acts 18, we learn of a time when Paul was preaching to the Jews in Corinth. And we're told in verse 6 that when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood will be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. It seems that the early Christians took Jesus at his word. If you go to a place with the gospel and find that you're not received and not welcome, there comes a time when you move on, when you go somewhere else, where you take the good news to other people. This passage has huge pastoral implications. For some time now in the Kirk session, we have been talking uh, about this kind of thing. We've been grappling with the question of how we should deal with the entirely nominal members of our congregation. We have a lot of people who are members of Kirkpatrick Memorial, and it's only by name. I did a a rough count as I was preparing uh, to share with you this morning. We have at least 60 families in our congregation who have absolutely nothing to do with the life of God in this place. And by the way, I'm excluding there people who are, who are housebound, who would want to be here with us but can't. We have 60 families or thereabouts who, who could be here, who could be involved, but who have absolutely nothing to do with us. So that's a quarter of the people associated with this congregation who receive our newsletter who I have visited, whom Edna has visited, whom our elders visit, they're not interested. They've demonstrated over a long period of time that the good news of Jesus doesn't interest them. How are we, in the light of what Jesus teaches, how are we to respond to that situation? Well, I think Jesus' teaching at this point is very challenging We know that Jesus loved people. No one walking this earth has ever loved people more. Matthew tells us in chapter 9, verse 36, that when Jesus saw crowds of people, he was moved to compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, don't forget this, he is the shepherd who seeks out lost sheep. But yet, even for Jesus, there seems to come a point when it's time to move on, to stop pursuing one person that we might go to another. The truth is, if we have found people
people with the good news of the gospel, and if they would prefer to remain lost, if they have communicated that to us time and time again, if they repeatedly and persistently demonstrate to us an opposition to the gospel, then perhaps for us a time will come when we move on and we go to those who have not yet heard and who may respond positively to the gospel. Just in case we're tempted to do this lightly, Jesus spells out the eternal consequences for those who reject the gospel. In verse 15, he says, I tell you the truth, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Now, those are hard words. They're not the kind of words that I would ever choose to preach. If I was the kind of preacher who chose his passages, I wouldn't do this part of Matthew chapter 10. But because I try to teach you faithfully all of what God's Word teaches, I bring you this this morning. Sodom and Gomorrah, if you know your Bible at all, you'll know these places are notorious. They're kind of like the biblical symbol for the people who fall under the judgment of God. Well, here Jesus says an incredible thing. He says, those who reject me and reject the messengers of my gospel, they're in a worse place than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Friends, this is the stuff that breaks the heart of anyone who shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how big our church grows or how successful it might appear to outsiders, as long as there are people known to us who are rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know that they stand under the judgment of God, and we will never live without that aspect of a broken heart. If ever I can help you, if you're listening this morning and you recognize that you're somebody who hasn't yet responded to Jesus, if ever I can help you, please come and speak to me. I'd give everything for the chance to help you in this regard. No trouble would be too great to help you here. That's the first part, I think, of what Jesus teaches in these verses we've read this morning. Jesus teaches those who take the gospel to be ready for varying responses to their message. In the remainder of this morning's passage, and in the remainder of chapter 10, Jesus deals with another key aspect of evangelism. He says, be ready for opposition. As you go out, expect people to stand against you. He says in verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. First of all, Jesus warns his disciples, expect opposition in the public sphere. In verse 17, he says, be on your guard against men. 
They'll hand you over to the local councils. They'll flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. I think at this stage, this might have been confusing for the first disciples as they heard this. They probably wondered what Jesus was talking about. What opposition are you talking about, Jesus? Because up until this point, everything was good. Everything that Jesus said and he did seemed so good, seemed so positive. It seemed like the sort of thing that nobody would ever oppose. I think these early disciples probably struggled to realize how controversial their commitment to Jesus was going to become. I think it's the same for us today. I'm not sure that we fully understand how controversial our commitment to Jesus could become in the the years ahead in Britain, where we live. I was talking to a professor of theology recently, and I asked him, what's the biggest issue facing the church today? I was hoping that he'd give me some sort of a a heads up that would give me some idea of where I should be going as a leader in the church Without a moment's hesitation, he said, persecution. He said, for the first time in many years, the church in Britain is going to face persecution. Whenever he first said that, I have to say, I thought the jury was out on whether he was right or not. But he certainly sensitized my, my eyes to be looking out for this. So for the last few months, I've been looking out to see if if what he's saying is bearing itself out in society. And I think the evidence is mounting. You may have heard by now of some of the the universities in Britain here where Christian unions have have been banned from meeting on the campus because they have a constitution that allows only Christians to lead their organization. You may have heard of that. There's a a CU on one campus in particular that's been banned from holding a meeting where they were going to be talking about the Christian view of sexuality because there was a fear that their view might be too controversial as it stood over and against more liberal views of how people express their sexuality. CUs being banned from British universities. You might have heard by now of the sexual orientation regulations that are on their way to becoming legally binding here in, in Northern Ireland. These regulations could lead to situations where Christians are taken to court if they're seen to discriminate against people who, of, of differing sexuality. Again, Christians here may well find severe opposition in the public sphere. Jesus tells us, this is what you should expect. This is how it's going to be. But he goes on in verses 19 and 20. He gives us some idea of how disciples of Jesus Christ are to act in these times of opposition. When they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking but the spirit of your father speaking through you. I don't think that Jesus is saying just enter naively into this 
opposition without any sense of preparation. I don't believe that. God calls us always to, to give of our best, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to, to give every faculty that we have over to him. But there might come a point when we just go into a place knowing that we're entering into the lion's den, where with our best preparations in place, we know we still stand in a bad, bad place. It's at that point, Jesus says that the Spirit of God will speak through us. This isn't a new thing Jesus is suggesting here. God's Word's full of examples of where when God's people stand in a difficult place, God gives them words by His Spirit. Do you remember Moses? He claimed not to be a man of eloquence, a man of good speech. And he used that as an excuse for not going to speak to Pharaoh. But God came to him and he said, I'll help you speak. And I'll teach you what to say. There might be times ahead for some of us where we'll be in that place where we're relying on the Spirit of God for the words to speak in the public sphere. Jesus goes on, and we're moving quite quickly here. In verses 21 to 23, he tells his disciples to expect opposition from all quarters. Brothers will betray brothers to death, a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not go on, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Jesus isn't trying to protect his disciples from the realities that lie ahead. He wants them to know the truth. No matter how difficult that truth might appear, he doesn't want to play it down. And what Jesus says here is entirely true. Some of these men do lose their lives for the faith. And throughout the history of the church, millions have lost the life for their faith in Jesus Christ. And still today, there are many in different parts of the world who are losing their life because they know and love Jesus. In verses 24 to 25, Jesus tells us why this suffering must be. He says, a student isn't above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for a student to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. Jesus makes a very simple point in those verses. He says, the way they treated me, that's the way they'll treat you. A servant isn't greater or different to his master. If you really throw your lot in with me, if you really identify with me, then expect the same kind of outcomes in your life as I had in mine. And what are they? Well, we're heading towards Easter. The time when we remember the the suffering and death of Jesus. A student shouldn't expect to be treated any better than their teacher. 
As we've sat in this morning with the disciples of Jesus in this evangelism training seminar, we've learned two more lessons about evangelism. Be ready for varying responses to the gospel and be ready for opposition. It turns out that, that this evangelism that Jesus talks about isn't for a consumer society. It's not for people who want enjoyable church. This isn't church light. Here we have Jesus giving us an honest assessment of what it will be like to bring the gospel to the people around us. And as I prepared for this morning, and as I, even as I'm preaching here just now, I'm conscious that these words of Jesus strike fear into the heart of any one of us who begins to take them seriously. If they aren't striking fear into us, it's because we're not taking them seriously. And that's why we close by looking at verses 26 to 31. Three times in those remaining few verses, Jesus says, do not be afraid. He tells his disciples, there's nothing concealed that won't be disclosed or hidden, that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Jesus is telling them that this gospel, which in their times, it's shrouded in mystery. Nobody really understands the full realities yet. But Jesus says a time's coming when all of this is going to be understood. Remember, Jesus has been keeping his identity a secret. Well, Jesus is saying there's a time coming when all secrets are going to be shouted from rooftops. And he's talking about that time after his death and resurrection when the church will go into the world teaching that Jesus is Lord. In verse 28, he says it again. Do not be afraid. He says, don't worry about people who persecute you. They can do their very worst to you, even if they do the very worst possible and kill your body. God, who holds your very soul in his hand, protects you and watches over you. And then in verses 29 and 30, Jesus gives us two images that reinforce God's loving care for us. God knows, Jesus says, when a, a sparrow falls out of a tree and lands on the pavement. God knows that. How much more does he know when someone who loves him is going through the mill or is suffering in his account? How much more does he know and respond to that? Jesus says, even the very numbers of your, the hairs on your head are counted. I found great comfort in that. Somewhere in heaven, there's a counter with the number of hairs in my head, and it's counting down, and it's counting down fast, but that's not the point. The point is that Jesus and God's knowledge of us is that intimate. There's not a thing about us he doesn't know. There's not a thing about us that doesn't interest him, that doesn't hold his loving gaze. 
So as we take the gospel of Jesus Christ into a world where we'll find differing responses, where we'll find opposition, Jesus leaves us with a threefold refrain. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Loving Father God, as we read a passage like this one this morning, our first response is to wish that it could all be different. We wish that everyone would respond positively when they hear the good news about Jesus. We wish we could go into the world and and share this wonderful news and, and not face opposition as we do so. But Lord, you've taught us today that it won't be so. As we go into the world, some people, many people, will reject the good news of Jesus. Many of them will stand in opposition to us and will make life difficult even unlivable for us. Father God, thank you that you go with us. Thank you for this threefold blessing of Jesus, this invitation to not be afraid. Help us to do that. Lord, help us not to shy away from these issues. Help us not to fall dumb and to hide in our church with our lips sealed that the gospel isn't heard. Help us instead to go and to face what comes, not afraid, but trusting in you and in your presence with us. Amen.